Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. I owe a big debt of gratitude to a collection of scientists, physicians, and researchers that have influenced me to take a more proactive approach to my health over the years. For many people, this might be your primary care doctor, but since I spent much of my early adult life on the move from country to country, there was little consistency or relationship developed for me. In my case, I've met a number of people in person along my journey of working in healthcare as a physician and then subsequently exploring the new frontiers of medicine and the expanding role of technology. I've talked about the formative experiences of building a brand new hospital that brought together the best of what was available at the time of people and technology. We also attempted to predict the future, building for technology that was not yet available, but could be in the coming years. The project attracted some incredible individuals who were, like me, intrigued by the concept of the appliance of science and technology to enable better care delivery. To describe these individuals as being on the bleeding edge of their areas of expertise would do them all a disservice. They were extraordinary in so many ways, forward thinking and refusing to accept the status quo of medicine insistent on moving to better care and better outcome. In my own personal world, my father had experienced cardiac disease and thankfully survived some major challenges that included an emergency bypass operation carried out in another country. With that family history and experience, I was more attuned to preventative care and risk factors, but in an era prior to the wide availability of information through the internet, and highly dependent on the expertise of those around me. Thanks to several of the team members who joined the group in Glasgow, Scotland, building our hospital, I commenced a journey of heart disease monitoring and prevention that has so far kept my heart in good shape. As we explore heart disease prevention as part of Cardiology Month, we need everyone to have access to the insights and progress being made at the frontiers of heart disease. To date, we have done a reasonable job of expanding everyone's understanding of the importance of cholesterol and lipids. These are now routinely measured as part of regular checkups, but as The Clash famously said in their iconic song, Know Your Rights, this is not enough. Today, we explore what you need to know and how to approach your own cardiac health. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Dr. Michael Gibson. He is a professor of medicine at Harvard University and an interventional cardiologist at Beth Israel Leahy, amongst many other accolades. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me on, Nick. So uh, we're talking cardiology month. We're talking cardiology uh, and its impact and where we've gotten to in healthcare. Certainly our understanding has improved uh, beyond the original work that sort of identified lipids, um, smoking, um, you know, some of those uh, areas that were identified uh, back in the 60s and 70s, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Where are we with research and the potential for identifying disease earlier in individuals? Well, I think overall, we're learning more and more about both the bad cholesterol and the good cholesterol. I think on the bad cholesterol side, we're learning that, yeah, there's LDL, that's bad cholesterol, but then there's some other bad cholesterol, something called uh, APO, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, something called LP little a. And um, you know, what we're learning is that even though you have good management of LDL, what we all call the bad cholesterol, there's this other really bad cholesterol, LP little a, that 20% of us have an abnormality in, and we don't know about it. Uh, and, you know, I'm not afraid to use myself as an example. I wanted to start working out more. I've been a college athlete, played college football. I wanted to get back and get more active again. And, uh, you know, my doc, you know, suggested as, you know, a coronary CT scan and calcium score. Mine was insanely elevated, 1118. Um, and my LDL, the bad cluster wasn't that bad. It was 70. It was at a target that we've specified. Uh, and we began to dig and I have an elevated LP little a that's about 2.75 times the normal. So, you know, we're learning more about some other risk factors that we were not aware of on the bad cholesterol side. I think what we're also learning is that this isn't something that just happens when you're 60. This is a lifetime disease. And what we're learning is not only is lower better, but probably longer is better when it comes to managing this stuff. You know, you mentioned the 60s and 70s. We knew from uh, young men who died in the Vietnam War when you did autopsies, even at that very young age, they already had a significant amount of fatty plaque there. So the newer concept is starting to think not just about your cholesterol value, but what's being called your cholesterol years. You multiply your age by your LDL and you come up with a number. And you know what we're starting to see is that you start to have clinically apparent heart disease when that number gets up to about 4,000 or 5,000. So, uh, you know, in my own family, I'll use an example. My two sons, uh, they have elevated cholesterol. So they went to their primary care doc in their 30s and said, hey, you know, I, I got this elevation. And they presented all the data to the primary care doc, and both of them got put on some statins. So I think we're learning earlier is better. Earlier is better as well. That's the bad cholesterol side. On the good cholesterol side, we had made a lot of advances over the years saying, well, you know, it looks like high HDL or good cholesterol is protective. But we have never been able to show that getting someone's good cholesterol up actually improves outcomes. There's been several failed attempts. 
A lot of those failed because in the effort to get the good cholesterol up, uh, some other things went wrong. The blood pressure went up, the inflammatory markers went up and all that undid any probably good that that, that could have been achieved. But we also have learned that it's more than just getting a number up. We've learned that it's not just do you have good cholesterol, it's how good is your good cholesterol? Does it work? Does it really work like a garbage truck to get all that stuff out of your arteries? And we're finding that some people have really good, good cholesterol. You know, it works really good. It sucks the cholesterol out of their plaques. Uh, and that's called a fancy name, cholesterol efflux. But other people don't have good efflux. They don't have good garbage trucks. So basically, if you just dump a bunch of bad garbage trucks in that are full, that can't pick up any more cholesterol, then you're not going to get much benefit. So right now, I just wrapped up enrolling 18,200 people in a study where we're giving intravenously, intravenously human good cholesterol after a heart attack. Think of it as a, you know, a billion empty garbage trucks. Basically, it's free of cholesterol to get in there and see if we can uh, cause those plaques to get better and stabilize them and, and improve things. So I think we're, we're making progress on both sides. I guess in the middle of it all also, Nick, is risk factors. I think, I think we are at the beginning of an unparalleled time in prevention. These new obesity drugs are gonna be some of the best cardiac drugs out there. Getting back to what I said earlier, uh, earlier is better. You know, if we can stop obesity earlier and, uh, you know, have someone lose 15 to 20% of their body weight, keep it off, that's probably one of the biggest health interventions we can do because that will lower their risk of diabetes and lower their risk of hypertension. And, you know, it, it just is at the root of a lot, not all, but a lot of what's driving this diabetes epidemic and this cardiovascular epidemic. So I see a bright future ahead. You know, I, there's a lot uh, to unpack in there, and I, I, I want to sort of dive into a couple of things. Um, clearly, you know, you're an interventional cardiologist. This is an area of deep experience focus. You're doing trials around this. I mean, in many respects, you're doing trials to try and prevent patients from even coming to you, ultimately. I mean, I think that's, you know, a, a goal that we all have and, and you have. You talk about your family and your sons and, you know, the identification of this. But how is the, the general population supposed to approach this? I mean, we go to our physician and we get this measure and you talk about those specifics, the good and the bad cholesterol. I think that in many instances, there's the limit of, you know, some people's understanding. How can they sort of approach this and say, well, I, I, I want or I've got to put, do they have to push? Or is this something that we should start to expect to see from our primary care physicians in general? Because 20% is a big number, right? Yeah, that's a big number. Um, and I guess I would say that word, number. Know your number. Um, you know, don't be afraid to ask. 
you know, you are the consumer and you deserve to know what your risks are. And, uh, you know, know your number, know your bad LDL number, know your good number, know your good cholesterol number. And one of the biggest setbacks, I'll be honest, Nick, that we've had recently is some of the guidelines a few years back said, you know what, the numbers don't matter. Um, just, you know, kind of, uh, you don't need to treat to a target or that was a horrible misstep in my judgment. I think that was a horrible misstep. And, you know, I, even with my own doctor, my own doctor, I was arguing that lower is better. And he was citing misinformation, disinformation saying, no, you know, you don't really need to get it down that low. And, um, I told him I wanted to be somewhere lower than a hunter gatherer, you know, and um, and I actually provided him with the the articles showing that there is a linear line that goes down. The lower your LDL, the lower your risk, and it just keeps going down and down and down. There is no LDL below which you know there's a lack of benefit. It just the lower the LDL, the better. My philosophy is. Uh, in general, every patient's different. My general philosophy is, you know, do all that you can to get it down as low as possible if the patient's tolerating uh, the medicines they're on. Uh, so advocate for yourself. Uh, if your doctor won't do it, to, if they won't put you on some medicines to get you down, maybe it's time to think about a different doctor. I hate to say that. Um, there are some cholesterol skeptics and deniers out there. I want people to understand, although their voices are loud, uh, they their view is the the minority, a very small minority. Personally, I don't like taking medicines, but in this instance, I, I think this this kind of treatment is very good. I'll also say, having lost weight recently, that my numbers got better. You know, so you can also do yourself a big favor by uh, losing weight. Now there are there are these new compounds out there. They are um, the GLP one agonists, uh, and they are very powerful in helping people lose weight. Um, you aren't hungry anymore. Uh, you get full earlier, and uh, I know people around me. I lost forty pounds. Forty pounds on these kinds of drugs. And it was the best thing I ever did. I think um, I feel better. I'm lighter. Uh, my energy went way up and all my numbers got much better. Uh, you see a lowering of your lipids. You see better sugar control uh, and you feel better. The big issue is access. And, you know, I think that's going to be a big fight and um, talk to your doctor about it. <clears throat> Every patient's going to be different. Every patient's going to be different. Talk to your doctor about it. Uh, but again, if your doctor's not willing, I'm the kind of person who goes and advocates to say, well, I'm going to find a doctor who does understand what I'm going through. So I think both those things, know your weight, know your num your cholesterol numbers. I, I think great points. And you and I share a little bit of commonality in that because I had a similar experience. Uh, I, I did, my numbers you know, would be described as normal but were unacceptable to me. And I ended up, I, I wouldn't say it was an argument. I was fortunate. I had a clinical discussion 
and acceptance of this, although it was very much, well, okay, this is the peculiar patient in our practice. So um, I think important sort of understanding uh, for individuals to really um, push and advocate both to understand and then importantly to sort of press on those issues that we're learning. You, you describe a few things here which, you know, we're still exploring. I mean, if you go back to the Framingham study, which an awful lot of our cardiology guidance is still based on, and that was, you know, once every couple of years we were um, measuring. We're now measuring much more frequently. We've got more data. Um, you talk about cholesterol years, and I think that's a good sort of model because that takes you from very early stages um, through your uh, lifespan. Um, and, you know, we tend to focus on individual numbers, but, uh, you know, perhaps that's one of those that, that can be used. But we're starting to develop treatments, and you've sort of described a couple of them. Um, I, I think the one that I've probably heard the least about is that good cholesterol, the garbage trucks that are picking up. Where are we with that? I mean, if there's some opportunity to both uh, prevent disease by, you know, lowering the bad cholesterol, but this sounds like we can actually reverse things. How is that piece of the uh, research going at this point? Well, <clears throat> there had been some attempts at this, and uh, they didn't do well because some of the off-target toxicity, you know, the drugs screwed up some other things like your blood pressure and inflammatory markers. There were some attempts at making uh, synthetic compounds, synthetic garbage trucks. They didn't do really well because they actually, they had bad trash compactors. They could pick up the cholesterol, but they couldn't shove it into the middle of them and it got filled up pretty quickly and didn't really do the job. They didn't really improve your reflux mm. or exit. So what we are doing uh, is infusing real human uh, good cholesterol, uh, the real stuff. Now it's been modified, tweaked a little bit um, by a little bit of this phosphatidylcholine stuff that makes the trash compactor work better. It's called LCAT. It's this trash compactor that shoves the cholesterol into the middle of the, of the particle so your surface is free to pick up more cholesterol. So, um, you know, I think we're having advances and, uh, you know, we're testing the hypothesis, we'll know in a year, whether giving someone vast numbers of empty garbage trucks from other humans really improves their outcomes after a heart attack. We do know that better efflux or exit of cholesterol gives better outcomes. And we know that this drug improves that. So we'll see if it improves outcomes. You know, that's, that's fascinating. Like, you know, what people don't understand is your body, this is amazing, your body can't break down cholesterol. Let me say it again. Your body can't break down cholesterol. That's why we have the garbage trucks to take it to the liver and actually remove it from the body. Uh, so uh, that's, that's why, you know, having these garbage trucks uh, will be very important, I think. We'll see. So I, I, excellent sort of progress. It sounds interesting and intriguing because it sounds like that's actually human uh, generated. So extracted a bit like the original uh, insulin that we used to extract, um, you know, and we'll get to perhaps um, manufactured versions of that. So there's some okay. tremendous the opportunity. Story, the funniest story in the world is uh, the place that makes this 
that manufactures it and does all of it is in my hometown where I grew up as a kid from fourth grade to high school, Kankakee, Illinois. Uh, it's now the biggest employer back in my hometown. I went home for my, um, my you know, high school reunion and my friends, my friends from high school are working in the factory where they're making this. So it's just a funny, bizarro, you know, uh, the world is pretty small kind of story. That's amazing. So, uh, you know, tremendous progress out of, you know, a hometown. That would be exciting yeah. to be able to go back and see, you know, participants in that. Yeah, As you mentioned, a lifetime treatment in the future. Mm -hmm. I just think we're seeing some really exciting things in genetic therapy. Um, you know, there is a company called Verve, which is making genetic modifications in monkeys and other primates to lower LDL since birth. And that could be a very important treatment for people with really bad homozygous or two bad genes of high cholesterol. And then there was just a, a study presented recently at the heart meeting on another thing called PCSK9 inhibition, doing that genetically as well. So you wouldn't have to take one of these shots every two weeks or every six months. You would get the genetic therapy and give a lifelong uh, treatment. So I, I just want to make sure we, we mentioned, you know, some of the genetic advances that are occurring as well. Yeah, I, I think long term, um, you know, we're moving from what I, I think some people call medicine 2.0, which, you know, was our understanding of the disease, the organs, and we've moved much more to a cellular level where uh, gaining better insights into the depths of all of this and, you know, the genetic modifications, even, you know, the potential to sort of um, change both earlier, but also fundamentally change, I think is terribly exciting. Um, you know, you and I perhaps hope that this is going to speed up a little bit because we're, you know, further down the track and hopefully the reversing. As, as you think about, um, you know, th this month, cardiology month, you know, we've made progress. What are the important things that you would guide people to say um, and leave them with in terms of how we think about the future of healthcare and in sp specifically cardiology care for the individual? Um, I think obesity has been treated as a moral failing. It is not a moral failing. It is a complex disease. And there's no shame. You should not, not be ashamed to be obese. We've got to get rid of you know, characterizing this disease as a moral failing. We have got to elevate it to the disease that it is. We've got to get people treated more aggressively to, to stem this diabetes epidemic. If we can get people's weights under control, we can get their diabetes under control or prevent it. We can get their blood pressure under control or prevent them from being hypertensive. We can get their lipid levels down and prevent them from having high lipids. I see obesity as the core of where we need to focus a lot of our efforts. Know your numbers, know your weight, get on that scale every day, try and get it down. Go to the doctor to get some help to get it down. If you have diabetes, know your numbers. If you have high cholesterol, know your numbers. If you have high blood pressure, know your numbers. Know your number and get it down. You can never be too rich, too thin, or have too low of a cholesterol. 
Fantastic. I think great advice. Um, you know, I think we're looking towards a future of insanely early detection of disease and insanely early treatment of disease that actually prevents it instead of allowing for it to develop and then having to treat the tail end of this. Exciting times. Um, Michael, uh, thank you for joining me on the show. Nick, thanks. I'm an interventional cardiologist, but I'm trying to put myself out of business, trying to prevent the disease I treat. Thanks for having me, Nick. We know that new treatments and scientific understandings can take longer than anyone would like to reach the coalface of clinical practice, the physician-patient interaction. It is getting better, but in the meantime, we all need to lean in to our own health. New measures that take account of the lifetime impact of diseases like cholesterol years need to become part of our regular vocabulary and monitoring. New treatments are on the horizon and will bring about big changes but it starts with monitoring, data, and personal health engagement and management. Your better pill to swallow is to know your numbers. As Mike said, you are the consumer and you deserve to know what your risks are. Know all your numbers and track all of them. Your weight, your good and bad cholesterol, your blood pressure, your blood sugar. There's no one size fits all, but it starts with you and knowing your own data to get to insanely early detection and prevention of cardiac disease. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash HUD for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.